Greetings, fellow travelers, and welcome to the Adoption Agency. My name is Roberto Benitez. I'm your host. I'm the founder and CEO of Blockchain 420. And today I want to talk to you about adversity and life's challenges and my experiences with these challenges and how you can overcome obstacles, you know, especially obstacles that seem insurmountable. So I hope that uh, you get some unique insight and some tips, you know, some tools for your toolbox, some jewels for your crown that uh, help you become better prepared to deal with these situations. So I'm going to get into it kind of quickly because I've had a lot of situations happen to me. All right. So let's start with uh, the, 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 the first situation that really altered my life and was so traumatic and so devastating that when I lost my leg in amputation, it was like nothing happened. All right. So on September 11th, I know most people remember September 11th, 2000, right? 9-11. I know most of the nation and the world got to witness the terrible act of terrorism inflicted on the United States, in particular the city of New York, Manhattan, and uh, and see it live while it, while it happened and the aftermath. But that was on TV, all right? I didn't witness it on TV. Not at all. I was actually there. So I'm in the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund because I actually got cancer from 9-11. So I don't want to give anybody the false impression that I was a first responder. You know, I take my hat off and my heart is open always to the first responders who went above and beyond to save lives, even sacrificed their own lives to, to save lives, you know? Unlike you, the Uvalde people, they weren't like that, All right? Um, I, I'm pausing for a second because it's a, it's a very emotional thing for me to talk about, and it's a, it's complicated. It's complicated. So, how was I a victim of 9/11? How did I get cancer? Where was I at? And what was I doing? Well, um be extremely blunt about this. I was uh, being held hostage by, by the United States of America. Right? And, and basically, I was in the federal supermax across the street. Now, if you go through my LinkedIn or through my personal resume, you'll see that I was an engineer for the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, my Maponia. That's what we call it as an employ, uh, Port Authority employee. It's a bi-state uh, federal agency. Um, I was a I was a GM, which is a general maintainer. So I had my CDL, I built runways, I built roadways, I erected skyscrapers. I mean, you name it, I did it. Every single phase of construction from the ground up. And I also had my CDL, so I was able to transport materials. Um, I even learned how to take, uh, how to you know do James Bond type of driving because I took an anti-terrorism training course. Now, all these courses were paid for by the Port Authority at overtime and time and a half. So I made sure that I absolutely utilized every course because I always use every resource available to me. But I also did it because there was a financial gain to it, not just 
immediate but long term. Because right? I knew that I could always use my CDL everywhere else in life. So I'm going to shift away from that. Uh, I just don't want people to think that I was a hero. I wasn't a hero. I was a victim. The difference. Right? So why was I in federal prison? I was hanging out with the wrong people. So I knew a lot of I knew a lot of really big people in New York in the criminal underground, right? Because I know it's hard to tell right now, but when I was younger, I was very popular. I was very, very good with the words. And a lot of my friends and colleagues, remember, I used to be a stockbroker uh, before this. So I had a lot of different types of friends and colleagues. Not all of them were criminals, but I, I, I moved in a lot of different circles. And uh, unfortunately, some of the people that I was associated got caught up. They were selling drugs and they got caught up in a RICO conspiracy. And because of the conspiracy, the government made a deal with uh, a lot of these people that if they were to testify and do certain things that then they wouldn't get deported back to their home countries. They would reduce their sentence and yada, yada, yada. And of course, you know, what do rats do when a ship is sinking? They jump, right? So they jump ship and they try to blame me for everything. And it was easy to try to blame me because out of the group, even though there was no evidence, there was nothing at all that linked me to anything like this. I was the one that was uh, the most intelligent. And so I became like the patsy. They try to make me to be the, the criminal mastermind of this organization, right? But my finances and their stories and the things they were talking about did not line up. So long story short, it took me almost six and a half years to get home. And I did plead guilty to a non-existent gun, right? Because at that point, I just wanted to get home. I just wanted to get home. So I, I, I you know, where the mark is a felon, it's not a problem, right? I'm going to get to the bright side of the end of the story right before we close out. So that's where I was when 9-11 happened. And I remember, I was right across the street. I remember seeing the first plane hit. The whole Supermax shook. When I mean shook, it shook to the core. The first building, the first plane hit, alarms started going off, cells started locking, like it was pandemonium inside the prison, right? It was a, a, a really weird moment. And then the second plane hit, man. Now, and I'm watching all this happen real time. I'm seeing people jumping out the windows. I'm seeing buildings collapse. I'm seeing plumes of dust and smoke from lower Manhattan. I used to be able to see across the Brooklyn Bridge and see Brooklyn. I couldn't see nothing. I couldn't see, a, I couldn't see out the window at all. I didn't know if an atomic bomb went off, all the televisions, all the wiring of lower Manhattan was all in one central place, right? So when, when the trade centers fell, all TV communications were gone, all radio transmissions were gone. We were sort of like in a, in a, in a no man's land. We got no information. We didn't know what was going on. And uh, the CEOs were panicking. They were terrified. They didn't know what was happening. You know, um, a lot of them were, were veterans. So they've been in war. And they've heard the sounds of bombs. So the sound of 9-11 triggered them to, to, to act really, really. 
not good. Right? Leaders to say there was a lot of uh, abuse. Right? Because because they didn't know how to cope with the situation at the time. We don't know what to cope how to cope with the situation at the time. No hell, none of us know what the situation at the time was. We just know that there was some really really huge explosions that people were jumping out the windows and it was like I said pandemonium. So after that happened, all communications are down. No prisoners could call out, tell their family they're alive. So none of our families knew if we were dead or alive. None of our children knew if we were dead or alive. Um, nobody knew anything. And so they locked us down as usual. We was already in. We was already locked down 23 hours straight, one hour out. You know, it was <laughs> 23 in, one out. It was, it was already a bad situation. It got exponentially worse. So we went to a complete lockdown. And we were locked down for months. Now, during this lockdown, I don't know if you guys remember the anthrax scare. Somebody sent anthrax to the mail. So because of that, we couldn't even receive mail. So I couldn't even write to my loved ones and tell them, hey, don't, don't, don't worry. I'm all right. You know, um, I'm, I'm going to get through this. Whatever. I couldn't say nothing. But I had to deal with it. Right? I had to deal with cellmates that was tripping. You know? So it's getting, it's getting violent. You know what I'm not really for the violence, but I'm trained in self-defense really, really well. So if it comes my way, I'm saying I'm going to handle my business. It's not going to be a problem. You know, I'm not opposed to self-defense. I just don't believe in violence for violence sake. Um, so that happened. A couple of, a couple of months later, they started rotating prisoners out of the prison. Except me, because the people that were crafting their tale about me made it so that I would have to stay there because that's where the trial would be held and things like that. So I didn't get a chance to transfer out to MDC, Metropolitan Department of Corrections. I was stuck in MCC, the same place they had El Chapo. Just, you know what I'm saying? Sammy the Bull Gravano was was my was my man in the world and he was my man inside. So was John Gotti Jr. You know what I'm saying? Um I remember when his wife and kids came up on the visit and um uh, my mom was also there and you know John was really pissed off because uh the show growing up Gotti was showing setting a bad light on his on his family. And I was actually talking to John and helping him uh write his children's book. That's a, another long story. But I know a lot of people, been through a lot of things, you know. Um, so I'm in the I'm in the hole now. And they bring Sammy the Bull back from Arizona to testify against John John Jr. And you know, I got to know Sammy the Bull and there, learn his perspective. Not from Valuetainment or one of these shows on YouTube, you know, talking, you know. I was also uh next to the shake that blew up uh, the U.S. Embassy. And his also his, his, his lawyer was also incarcerated by the Fed because they said that she was passing notes, passing information to terrorist organizations 
Now, understand that the police was picking everybody up. Everybody looked black or brown or Muslim or whatever. You was catching hell. You was getting beat down. They was doing unspeakable things to people, you know? So, uh, it was a really bad time, right? And they kept telling me, the feds got a 98% conviction rating. Brother, you never go home. And I remember to tell the judge, you know, listen, y'all, y'all got, y'all got Gotti. Y'all, y'all killed Saddam Hussein. Y'all killed Muammar Gaddafi. But this little Puerto Rican dude is going to walk the hell up out of here. Because I was innocent, you know. But innocence, if you can't prove it, there's a lot of innocent people in jail, in prison, doing life. You know, so it's, it's, it's bold words, but they had to come with even bolder actions. Right? That's me filing motions because even I had to learn law. Because it doesn't matter how much I'm paying my attorney. They're not going to do the time. I'm doing the time. I'm trying to get home. They're getting compensated. Win, lose, or draw is just a little check mark on their sheet or their scorecard. But it's not a check mark on my scorecard. It's my whole life. So I had to make sure instead of wasting my, my time and resources on garbage, I bought books, volumes and volumes and volumes of books because I didn't even have even access to the law library. And what they call a law library is a joke. Right? So I had to learn how to write motions and how to how to how to you know address the court and do a lot of whole lot of stuff that uh I had never been prepared for in my life to do because I never planned on being a lawyer. I was a stockbroker. I was I was an electrical engineer, I was a general maintainer, I was a construction mastermind, an engineer, no AutoCAD, I know. I know um, design, I know machinery, I know I know machine shop, I know how to make my own parts and everything. Use a lathe, you give me a piece of steel and some dye, and I'll make anything, a gun, anything. I can make anything. I can fix anything. What's aviation? I know how to fix jets. What's good, King? It's good to see you, young Fonz. So, so, so I learned all this stuff, the knowledge base that I built coming up was so instrumental in me getting out. My discipline that I learned being a violinist and practicing, 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 practicing so that I got to play at Carnegie Hall and Radio City with the Bronx Soul City Orchestra, all of that had its part in me learning how to fight the people that was trying to take everything from me. All right? So anyway, long story short, I won. And I got home, and I came home to nothing. Not I'm, That's not true. I came home to everything. Let me read back that up. I came home to my family. I came home to my children. I came home to my wife. But I didn't have any resources. I was dead broke. Dead broke. I had nothing. I got out. I had a PR that was on my back. Dude showing up to my jobs, you know, telling my employers that, man, this guy is dangerous. You sure you want to keep this guy working so they can violate me and send me back to prison? You know, increase the rate of recidivism because that's what they wanted. 
They wanted me off the streets by any means necessary. Not everybody knows how to lose gracefully. But I took my punches and my kicks and my bullet wounds. And I was shot in the head right over here. My bullet wound through the head over here. My stab wounds, I took them all. No problem, right? I was devoid of natural light in there. I never knew if it was daytime or nighttime, except from the my watch that I got on the commissary, right? Uh, because they want to keep you disoriented. They want you to confess to things, whether you did them or not. I know so many people that pled guilty to stuff that they didn't do just to get out of there. The psychological trauma, the stress, the no human contact is brutal to the system, right? When they don't like what you're doing, they got this nice little trick called four-pointing where they pretty much strip you nude, man, and they, they put you on a concrete block and they put you on four points like this with your legs spread and you stay there. So if you have to use the bathroom, you think they're going to let you, they're going to stop playing cards and unchain you and take you to the rest? They're not doing none of that. So you're defecating on yourself. It was bad. It was bad. You know? But I got through it. So if I get through it, other people get through things. So I got through that. No problem. I got home. I got my jobs. I started crawling through every single attic, crawl space. You know, I, I'm from New York. I don't know nothing about snakes. You know, I'm crawling through attics and crawl spaces in Georgia. Snakes walking up on me, wild possums, all kind of crazy stuff. And, you know, I just doubled down because I knew that I wasn't going to stay in this position. You know, my, my defense drained all my resources, not just mine. My family helped me, too, with some things. You know, so, so it drained a lot of resources. Um, and I started brand new, but I kept my chin up. I stayed out of trouble. And my reward was that actually President Obama and the Obama administration offered me a pardon because my businesses were, won so many awards from the Douglasville Chamber of Commerce, best electrician, uh, best plumber, best painting, best this, best that. And when I worked for the state of Georgia, I won every single accolade they did. When they had a tornado and it, and, it, and it messed up the whole Georgia World Congress Center, I'm the one that went in there on my day off. It was full of water and high voltage. And I walked through there, made sure I, I turned off all the power and all the breakers so the firemen wouldn't die going in there trying to work because the firemen got a different mentality, right? So when there's an emergency, they act. They're trained to act. They go, they face the fire. They're brave dudes, super brave dudes. You know, shout out to all the firemen and the first responders and shout out to the real police people that serve and protect. That serve and protect. I take my hat off to those dudes, not the cowards that let what happened in Uvalde happen. You know, meanwhile, they want to shoot at me. Unarmed for nothing. But they had the courage to, to take on that situation. You know what I mean? So I don't got I don't got love for everybody that wears the badge. I got love for the people that wear the badge with honor, with integrity, that do the job. You understand what I'm saying? 
So don't ever think that I, I'm against law enforcement or against the rule of law. We need that, or else it'll be pandemonium. Uh, so that's 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 my my talk about that. But that was so bad for me. Not, it took a long time. You know, my wife told me, Rob, you should talk about it. My friends and family told me, yo, Rob, you should talk about it. But I had imposter syndrome, right? So I didn't want to talk about it. So now I'm talking about it because I absolutely know who I am, you know? And I know the, the, the my experiences made me the man that I am. That's what made me form Blockchain 420 because I realized the world was missing a lot of love and care, you know? So that's why my company is designed the way that it is. It's very unique, very unique. So between once I got home, life is going good. I got my contracting business up. I lead the state of Georgia. We opened up a bunch of businesses. And if you go through my, my bio, my LinkedIn, all the, the facts and relevant data is there. But we had a company called Rose Ticket Services. And we put on all of the major events in Atlanta. That's why I got to meet Snoop Dogg and Debo and all these other celebrities. I got pictures with them, you know, excuse me, mayors, governors. Uh, Tyler Perry bought a couple of houseboats at one of my shows. Um, you know, the National Maritime Marine Association with my clients, Lego. Like, I only have big clients, big names. Uh, my wife, Samantha, was the one of the heads of the ticket office at the, door, at the Georgia Dome. So she introduced me to like Arthur Blank and people that run the Falcons. And like, I just had a great circle of friends and I was uh, the manager of a theater downtown and Sam was the, uh, I was the, I wasn't the manager, excuse me. I was the house, the house. I even forget the name, but thing, but Sam was the one that worked in, in the office. I was the one that greeted people and scored them around. And I even got my liquor license so that I could be the bartender so that I could earn more revenue. And all the time I'm earning this revenue, I'm investing in my businesses, investing in the market. I'm doing, I'm doing all kinds of things because I know that I need to prepare for the future. I lost a lot of time. I can't get that back. But I can absolutely get it back with right investment and good living and stress management and things like that. So I started applying these principles to my life and to my family's life and things went really well for us, you know? So here comes a couple of years later, my wife gets cancer, boom, cause we were vegans. Go figure. We decided that we didn't want to hurt the animals or, or kill other sentient beings for sustenance. So we went vegan. We were buying all kinds of expensive fruits and vegetables at Whole, Field, at Whole Foods. I built a gigantic geodesic greenhouse in my house, in my, in my yard. Um, I imported organic dirt, you name it. I did it. I was making, you know, trying to grow my own and I was doing great, except that I didn't know that when you don't use, uh, you know, fertilizers, if you don't keep like cats and things like that, um, you're going to get rodents. So the mice would take a bite out of every single strawberry in my strawberry, strawberry uh, beds, even though they were raised, you know, mice can climb. So that was, that defeated the purpose. The my dogs would hear the field the field mice, so my dogs would maul my would maul my uh, greenhouse to get inside and 
you know, try to take care of pests. So it was like a, it was just rough. So we spent all this money every week at Whole Foods, thinking that everything we was going to get was organic. But somehow, some way, lo and behold, my wife got large B-cell lymphoma because a lot of those vegetables were sprayed with pesticides made by Monsanto, you know, sprayed with Roundup. So she got large B-cell lymphoma. Uh, not once, but twice. They told us she only had a couple of months to live, and then they changed that prognosis to a couple of days. Uh, and even the doctor was so callous to tell her that, you know, if she didn't take chemo this very second, she might as well go home and commit suicide. And I thought I was going to go back to prison that day because I was about to to go to a dark place with him because that's not how you break news like that to people. That's not how you talk to people. And I had my mother-in-law with me at the time. God bless the dead, Mima. You know? So she's hearing this. You know, this is devastating to me, to my children, to my wife, to her mother. And this dude just came out with this kind of callous attitude. And that's why there's so much iatrogenic death in the United States, right? That's a big, long expression for they let you die. <laughs> you know, they just let you die. Uh, so now I'm going to talk about my wife. Thank God we, she got she got healed. She took one round. She took one complete round of chemo. And the worst chemo there is, the R-chop. Uh, they used to give her that chemo. They used to come into the room dressed like she just had intercourse with the outbreak monkey. I mean, they was suited and booted from head to toe. They had protection on top of their protection. It was, it was, it was the same. They had to take it to the doctor every day. Every day, her, her immune system was so low, I couldn't even take it to the ER because if she got sick from that, it would probably kill her, like a cold, it would kill her. She had no defense at all. And so second time around, we treated it a different way. Um, we used holistic methods to treat it and it cured her to this very day. I won't get into what the method is because Nobody could claim to have a cure to cancer, and I'm not really trying to tell nobody how we did it unless they talk to me in private. And then I could tell them that um, these are just the results that I know about. I'm not telling you it's a cure. It's a suggestion. Just like I don't give financial advice. I talk for, about things, and they're for educational purposes only. Thank thank you, my brother, Young Fonz. I appreciate you. Um, so that's that's something that you know, if someone's really interested in, uh, I can give you some some resources and what you do from there uh, is up to you, but I wish you all the best and I hope nobody ever has to get cancer. Speaking of cancer, I told you guys I was there at 9-11, so I also got cancer. I know I showed you uh, this side where I got shot, right? But um, don't mind me, this is a little backwards. I got a scar right here. Right here. And, um, and the scar is because I got the only cancer black people don't get. I got skin cancer from breathing in all that asbestos and dust because they would not move me. Right? And uh, what can you do? I'm not going to try to sue the federal government. I just want to get out of there. I had enough. You know? So uh, that's how I got cancer. You know, I didn't get the cancer from the Monsanto stuff my wife did 
but I got the cancer from 9-11, and that's why I'm in the Victims' Compensation Fund. Again, I was not a hero. Um, man, I'm blessed to know you, man. And, and, and my brother, you've been so inspirational to me. Let me tell you, Young Fonz is my mentor in a lot of different things. You know, There's a lot of information and, and, and education that I was lacking in certain fields. And my brother just pulled me up and said, hey, you got to take this course. You got to, he didn't even say it that way. He said he recommended something and the, the, the honest on what was going to happen with that information was up to me. So every time somebody gives me a resource, I'm going to parouse it. And if it applies, I'm going to dedicate time to learn it, you know? And I never think that I have everything figured out or that I know everything or I'm the, 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 the smartest person in the room. Everybody has a voice. I listen to everybody because I, I get different perspectives from people that I interact with. Now, everything is going along smooth now. My wife's cancer-free. Everything is, is going well, you know? And uh, I'm riding my motorcycle, minding my business. We're going to the gym. My sister Suzanne calls. What's up, Rob? I was like, what's up, sis? She's like, man, um, y'all going to the gym? It's like, yeah, we're going. Well, can I ride with y'all? I wasn't, I wasn't gonna um, I already had told Sam we're gonna get on the bike, you know. But now that Suzanne came, I said, Well, y'all take the bends and I'll ride the bike. And they so they were like a couple of cars behind me. When again, obeying the speed limit. Minding my business, a, a, a soldier on his way to work, he was a naval soldier on his way to work at the recruiting station, somehow lost control of his vehicle on a bright, sunny day with no rain, precipitation, or anything. My man lost control of his vehicle and hit me head on against traffic. He crossed over at over 100 miles an hour and cut my leg immediately off. I'm missing my left leg above the knee because I saw him coming to me head on and I leaned the bike. I was trying to, to drop the bike and jump off. I was trying, but he was coming so fast and he hit me so hard, he immediately cut my leg off. I flew, they measured, because they have accident scene investigation, they measured how far I was from my bike. I was 200 yards. I flew two football fields. And the dude that hit me never dialed 911. I reported him to the office of the JAG. He was a coward then. He's still a coward now. He should never be in service. Every single serviceman knows how to apply a tourniquet. You know you hit me. You know I'm going to bleed out. You know my leg is missing. You did nothing. You're a coward. You got to live with that, right? So then here comes the Georgia State Patrol. They pull up to the scene really quickly. But before they get there, there's a, a Domino's truck coming down the road. And they see his car, his, his SUV, twisted out and knocked over a sign on the road. And then they looked and they noticed that there was a motorcycle. So the driver of the truck and his helper jumped out and said, if there's a motorcycle, where's the rider? So they, I don't know how I didn't get perforated by trees and limbs and all kinds of stuff. 
and this miraculous how they land in the road and get run over by other vehicles because they wouldn't have time to stop. I'm I'm a projectile. I'm I'm 200 something pounds f- flying. I don't know how fast, but it must have been super fast for me to go 200 yards. You know what I mean? The laws of of, of velocity and all these things take. You know they 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 can explain all this. So I was like, man. This guy John jumped out the truck, an absolute stranger. Put a took his belt off, put a tourniquet on me, talked to me. I never lost consciousness. I see my wife and my sister behind me. They call the helicopter, you know, um, and I get taken off to Grady. I get to Grady right before surgery. I got all my jewelry on. I had two gigantic trillions. Cost me a fortune. You know, I used to work in the gold refinery. Again, check my bio and you'll see all the things I used to do. Right? So um my jewelry's missing. I wake up. My name is Bar Harbor Six. Not even John Doe. But I know in my saddlebags of my bike is my license, my registration my money. I see my wife talking to the Georgia State Patrol before I leave. I'm talking to her. I'm yelling at, we're yelling at each other, you know, and we're talking, you know, you're all right, yeah, I'm going to be all right. You know, like, so I I found it really strange that when I woke up after surgery, I I didn't mind so much that the jewelry was missing, but I was like, why don't I have a name? Long story short, the Georgia State Patrolman that arrived on the scene was a retired Marine Corps veteran or serviceman. I'm not sure if he was a veteran. Well, I'm, sure, well, I, I'm not really sure about these military terms, to be honest with you. Uh, but he served, right? And I thank you for your service, everybody who serves. But what he did was they semperfied each other, semperfy. And next thing I know, I have no ID, no wallet. I'm a John Doe. So I wake up and I ask my wife, I'm like, you got my wallet? You know, just curious as, you know. And she's like, no, I don't have your wallet. I thought it was still in your in your pants and stuff. They had cut my jacket off and stuff, my motorcycle jacket, and a lot of my clothes to see if I had any other injuries. So they, they did that on the spot when I was still laying in the grass. So I was like, nah, I don't, I don't have it. So she asked my sister because my motorcycle club went and picked up my bike. Amazing dudes, right? So they went all through my bike. They couldn't find none of my paperwork. I mean, what's going on with this? So my sister calls her husband, my brother Hank, and they get together with the rest of the club and they comb the whole area where I was at. Lo and behold, inside of the brush, is my wallet complete with the rubber band around it, all my money, all my identification, right? But when the police officer wrote the report, it says my name. So he knew my name because he had my ID. He simplified his man, and they chucked my ID into the woods. Because of this, I had to go, and I had meetings with the governor. I had meetings with the Georgia State Patrol. They called my wife just to give them, to give my wife their condolences because they thought I was dead. So they didn't do any investigation. My man was never given a breathalyzer. Uh, to this day, I don't know if he was drunk. 
I don't know what happened with that. All I know is that they gave him a ticket for failure to maintain lane. He pled no low contendere, right? And so he didn't even have to pay a fine. Meanwhile, it's costing me everything again. Again, I'm about to lose everything, you know? Um, the, the, the expenses are astronomical, you know? And, and my insurance... His insurance, he had $50,000, uh, no, $40,000, whatever, no, excuse me, $50,000 insurance coverage. My helicopter flight alone was over $65,000. So just arriving to the hospital with nothing else happening, I'm already $15,000 in the hole. Before they even start surgery, uh, before any of the, you know, uh, hospitalization. So I'm thinking about my financial future, because I just had my whole future wiped out before. And then my wife got cancer, and my, my, the future of my wife and family life and everything was up in jeopardy. Right? Yeah, it's expensive, man, to get life flighted. It's serious, Tom's. So, you know, um, I didn't really... I didn't really know exactly what was going on. I was still drugged up. I'm on heavy drugs from surgery and stuff, and but I knew a lot of things was not right about this. So after I finally get my, my bearings, uh, I get to my, my, my hospital, to the room in Grady. First, I'm in ICU. I spend some time there. Then they, they transfer me to another room. <laughs> While I'm in the other room, a doctor tells me, says, uh, comes to me and says, uh, we have to perform another surgery on you. And I was like, why? Well, we got to just like kind of clean it up. You might have some debris. I'm like, debris? The car hit me and took my leg off at the shin. I'm waked up. I woke up and I'm missing my leg above the knee. If there's any debris in there, you guys put it there. I didn't have no broken skin anywhere. I had a busted lip, some scraped knuckles, and that was it. And a missing leg. Uh, no other injuries. From that accident. So uh, I really didn't understand what they were trying to tell me because it sounded like a load of crap, right? It sounded like bad surgical team. That's what it sounded like. And, uh, you know, but again, I was grateful to be alive, so I was kind of ignoring that stuff at the moment. There's times to, there'll be a time to address that later, which was what my attitude was, right? In the meantime, just be grateful. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm exhibiting gratitude to the universe and to God for just being alive and for all the, the traveling angels that they sent my way, my fellow travelers, you know, they helped me on all my journey. So I'm trying to help everybody else along their journey, you know, you come from Harlem. I'm not from Harlem, but I spent a lot of time there. You know, I grew up in the Bronx, but each one teaching was a real thing in New York. And I, I really want to teach people how to deal with certain things. Uh, Adversity is one of them. Challenges, you know, transitions from different phases of life and different jobs. You know, uh, I want to make sure that people get a, a good perspective on how to, how to handle these situations. I'm not saying don't fight. I'm saying fight smart. Fight smart. Never stop fighting. All right. For me, it's always power to the people. And I'm the people. And y'all are the people. So everything I do, I do for you. You know, not for me. I was comfortable, you know, for my investments. I didn't have to make blockchain 420. You know, I purchased Dreams of Panama, 
turned that around, made a whole new business out of that, you know? And I didn't have to work no more. My daughter's was a, a 16 year old CEO, expat CEO. You know? I got a lot of lot to be proud of, my accomplishments and that, but but I didn't stop there. You know, I, I feel I'm too young. I'm not gonna retire. I, I don't even pay myself. I haven't got paid since the 80s. <laughs> you know, I learned how to live off of the interest of my investments. You know, so I'm just a regular disabled person with disability. And my investments, uh, my investments fund my lifestyle. You know, so that's that's how that's come about. Um, so now I'm in Grady. I go for my second surgery, and uh, it was uh, an experience. But when when I woke up for surgery, I went straight into shock. I mean, I'm jumping like a fish out of water. My wife was like, yo, what's going on with him? She's jumping on me to keep me from falling off the bed. You know, they got the the raised guardrails on the bed so you don't fall off the bed. I was convulsing so hard, and I also had a brain bleed. I was convulsing so hard, I was about to convulse off the bed. So she physically laid on top of me so I wouldn't come off the bed. When the, And she's calling the nurse. She's hitting the panic button. What happened was they forgot to get my pain shot, and I had no morphine. So imagine you're in the Wild Wild, you're watching a Wild Wild West movie and somebody gets shot like a Civil War movie when they used uh, before full metal jackets and bullets were just round balls, you know, musket balls. When you got hit with one of those, there was no saving you. The, uh, that's why they, they came up with a full metal jacket bullet that's pointy and straight. Leaves a different type of exit wound. Right, so... Um, I'm going into shock. I almost died in my wife's arms. And they told my wife, oh, we're sorry. We forgot to give him the pain shot because there's a VIP on your floor. <laughs> it did not really sit well with me. So long story short, from that point on, the staff and I, we're starting to have some opposition. You know, I already got, you, you try to make me disappear from existence. You try to turn me to a John Doe. Now you're forgetting to give me my meds, and still that's just the beginning. So a group of nurses from the night shift were not administering my prescribed pain medicines. I was not getting my morphine, which is supposed to be intravenous. I believe that what was hanging from the line was saline, and it wasn't in my vein. It was inside my muscle. So I already got big on, I got 20-inch guns, you know. And it was inside the muscle, so now the muscle's all swollen like this because the medicine is not going to where it needs to go, if it was even medicine, right? So I'm complaining about this because I'm in pain. I'm in so much pain that my wife went out and, and, and bought me a plastic Pepsi to drink, and I crushed the bottle so I could put it in my mouth to keep my teeth from charity because I got all my teeth. All of them, no cavities, great dental work. Um, and I didn't want to break my teeth, you know, because the pain was so like, it was brutal. You know, no pain meds at all. And me calling the staff and they're telling me that I'm exaggerating. The night nurse is coming in and she's supposed to be giving me this thing called Roxycodine. I'm not a drug addict. I don't know what these pills look like. They're red. 
I find this out after a couple of days. So they're red pills, but it turns out it was what I believe, you know, because I don't want to get into any libelous situations. I believe it was St. Joseph Aspirin's because I was bleeding out like crazy and I was getting no pain relief at all. And it was very, it was strange because they were stealing in, in a lot of different aspects. So when you're hospitalized and you have insurance, you have a, a band, right? And it has a barcode on it. So they would scan my barcode, scan the meds, especially the pain meds, and always leave. I always forgot something. Oh, we forgot this. Oh, we forgot that. And then they come back and I take the pills and I feel no relief. But in the daytime, I was a lot more comfortable. Still in a lot of pain, but I'm a lot more comfortable because by that time, most of the, 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 the drip in my arm had been gone. Um, I, I, I called them to try to reposition the the IV a bunch of times and they were just uh, not skilled enough to catch a vein, even though you can't miss my veins. They're huge, right? I mean, you can see them across the street and that they, they just were badly trained or they just did not care, right? So they would do that. And it was so bad that one night I told my wife, you know what, let's set up the cell phone on the stand and record what's happening, man, because this is out of control. They didn't even feed me. That's another thing. They, they, the doctors, they thought I was, um, I forget the, the, the terminology they used, but I thought they had a, a, a thing in my records that said, do not eat. Because I used to have, I had to have four subsequent surgeries after the first one. Really five, but I'm going to get to the fifth one last. Obviously, that's the, the order, right? So um, I'm not going to put the pictures on here because they're gory, right? But there's you, there's pictures of me, and you'll see bloody chucks all over the place, even on top of my food that I purchased. But they were not feeding me, right? So I fed myself out of my pocket 15, 20 days. A couple of good family members and friends that came to visit me brought me some food, you know, um, out to love. But they were not feeding me. So I had the pictures. During my 15-day stay, um, I was served three meals. The exact term is NPO. I, I, you know, do, do not feed. So I brought this, all this stuff to the attention of the hospital's administration. And my man actually sat there and told me, man, um, now this is the administrator. I got to get surgery too, but, you know, I'm not going to have it here. I'm going to go to um, uh, Emory. I'm in the number one trauma hospital in the South, man. It's the only hospital that has room for a Black Hawk helicopter to land in case there's an emergency and they need to bring the United States, the president of the United States of America there. Let that sink in for a minute. The only hospital in the South that has a helipad big enough for a Black Hawk. So they could bring the president of the United States of America there if there's an emergency. And this is the type of service that I'm getting for, and I'm paying for it. No compassion, no love, absolutely trying to force iatrogenic death on me. 
Uh, so after that happens, I bring my concerns to an even bigger administrator. She listens to me. She hears me out. She's very compassionate. She's telling me how sorry they are. Yeah, they didn't even have a chair for my wife all this time. To, to she's with me. I'm I'm getting out of my hospital bed and letting her sleep in it because, you know, as long as the IV won't fall out, because it was brutal for her too. To sit in a hard chair, fifteen days. So we swapped out. They wouldn't even get bring a recliner. We asked. I promise you. I was in a private room, but it was terrible. There were even sharps on the floor. I got one leg. They gave me a walker. They never gave me a wound care, which is a wound vac to suck all the, 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 the pus and nasty stuff out so you can heal. They didn't give me none of that stuff. They sent me home with no care, no aftercare. They said, just let it air dry. Right? Because I tried to follow the doctor's instructions, and, and, I, and they, they, they made me rent the wheelchair, rent. They didn't even tell me I was renting this thing, right? I thought it was part of something that I had paid for, part of my stay. So I'm in the house with this children's-sized wheelchair. I barely fit in this thing. My, my, my thigh is, is so swollen, it's bigger than my waist. I, I don't even know how I'm going to get in this thing. And this is what I had to move around with for months until I realized they were billing me for this thing. Um, I talked to that, the bigger administrator. I ended up giving a talk to all of the clinical heads of staff at Grady Hospital. I got pictures of all this stuff and everything, so I don't, I'm not here to make up stories. You know, This is not story hour. This is me telling you about things I've been through and that you may be in a dark place right now, but trust me, if you, if you, if you, if you stick to your guns, you'll get through it. If you have support from people you love, you'll get through it. And even if you don't have the support from people you love, have the support from you. Love yourself. Don't give up. All right? So I went and I talked to them. I even went to the APD and I filed the police report because I said that they were stealing from me. They're billing me for this stuff, all of these meds that I'm not getting. I showed them the video of the nurse scanning making up a pretext to leave the room and coming back. And she says on the video, I don't want you to think that this is, uh, that this is uh, not morphine. I put it in the needle outside. Like, cause she already knew, you know, I was protesting so much about my pain and I started telling, I had already told the first administrator, I think they're, they're stealing my drugs. So I go to the APD and their response was, well, they're not stealing from you. And you can't say stealing because we didn't catch them. What I'm saying is, this is what the police are telling me. What we're saying is we're going to investigate it. I'm like, there's nothing for you to investigate. They should have investigated those, those nurses' lockers, right, at the time. It should have been an internal investigation at the hospital before I even got to the police, right? I see you, cuz. Bless you, mama. Um, so, you know, none of that happened. And so don't always think that you're going to get what you think is justice. But always believe that what you're going to get is what the universe and God's will for you is.
you know? So if you're strong and you have a, a purpose in this world, nobody's going to make you exit until your purpose is complete. So my advice to everybody is no matter what you're going through, no matter how hard your situation is, be righteous, be good, be kind, be compassionate, so love and care for people. It doesn't cost you anything to do that, but it costs you everything not to. You'll never get it for yourself. There's universal laws like the law of reciprocity, you know, as within, so without, you know. There's all these esoteric and hermetic principles that I live by my whole life, you know. So I want you all to try to adopt some of these principles. And I'm going to do regular podcasts about a myriad of different subjects because uh, my experience and my knowledge base is pretty extensive. You know, I, I paid for the master class of beatdowns in life. <laughs> you know, I got a I got a doctorate degree in getting beat down by life. But I also have a doctorate in how to overcome this stuff and how to get through it mentally sound, emotionally sound, spiritually sound, financially sound. You know what I mean? And I want this for everybody. All the time I'm going through this, I have ex- I have people that are looking at me, my wife, my children, my family, my friends. How are you going to react to this, Rob? When I lost my leg, I can't tell you how many Facebook messages said, well, it's going to be no more cruises, Rob. No more convertible BMWs for you, Rob. No more this and that for you, Rob. Really? <laughs> I'm trying to tell you right now, I live on the 31st and 32nd floor right now in my duplex penthouse. They're still in the same place. We got a resort. They're still in the same place. While they running their mouth, I'm running my brain. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't tell them anything bad. I didn't tell them that you know, uh, I didn't even say, man, I don't appreciate the negativity. I didn't say nothing at all. Because why run your mouth? Talking is easy. Everybody's got vocal cords, right? Except those that can't speak. So that does, that's not productive. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Like we say where I come from. You know? So I wasn't talking about it. I was all about it. I wanted all the smoke. And I still want all the smoke. You know? So if somebody comes to me with with, with some nonsense, they're going to catch the fire because I breathe smoke. So I'm going to house the golden dragon because I'm the dragon. I got no problem with that. So I want to end this on a positive note because now I no longer get any smoke. I get resistance, right? But I'm an electrician. I know how to overcome resistance. That's part of basic electrical theory. (laughs) Right, so... Anyway, to make a long story short, that, that's pretty much my story. Um, I'm glad that you all took time to, out of your busy days and, and lives, to listen to this. I hope that I could be a blessing to someone going through a tragic situation that they feel they have no hope, that they feel they have no way out, that they feel that nobody's supporting them. You know, if you feel that way, uh, I'm always approachable. Uh, inbox me. Uh, email me because I my, I have staff that takes care of my social media. 
<clears throat> because most of my social media inboxes are people trying to sell me services because I'm a business, right? So I don't really pay attention to that. But I do have a, a, a email. My email is public uh, on all my links. So uh, I'm not going to just put it out here in the ether. If somebody wants it, they have to look for the resource, right? I don't want to just make everything available because my time is very valuable. I have a, an absolute responsibility to my family, myself, and my shareholders. So I take my time serious. My time management is serious. You know, so um, on that note, I wish you all the very best. Um, I hope that this was an informative conversation. I hope that you were able to, to glean a little bit of wisdom from me. Um, that your life experiences, I mean, I hope they're better than mine have been when it comes to the tragic stuff. And even when it comes to the successful stuff, I don't, I don't wish anybody nothing but all the success in the world. So these are some of the reasons why we put blockchain 420 together. This is why we want to change the world with love and care. This is why Manza Musa is my logo type, right? Because he broke the world with love and care. He gave away so much gold. He changed, he, he collapsed the Egyptian economy, which was the world economy at the time for a decade. And when he returned back to Mali, he was more than 10 times richer than he ever was giving it away, the law of tenfold return. Because salt and Mali was a kingdom had two things that made it uh, become an empire, salt and gold. And the, I know a lot of us grew up in a modern age where there's refrigerators and refrigeration and even the first refrigerators that were just ice, ice boxes, right? But in those days, uh, people didn't have access to ice and ice boxes. Only thing you could do with your food was salt it to preserve it, whether it was beef or, or any kind of meat or fish. So you salted it, preserved it, you washed it out before it's time to cook it. You try to get most of the, the salt out and then you were able to cook with it, but that was your way for preserving food. And they had so much salt and gold that it was priceless. They had so much money. I'm proud of you too, cause you know, I love all of you, my family, you know? Um, so that's how the Mali empire had so much money. That even though Manza Musa gave away so much, he earned so much more. And that's the principles I've been living by. Manza Musa did it, Jesus Christ of Nazareth did it, John Rockefeller did it. Uh, Mr. Carnegie did it. You know, uh, try to read Think and Grow Rich. Try to read books like, you know, U Squared. Try to increase your knowledge base and your spiritual, your spiritual centering. Practice meditation. Practice yoga. Make sure you exercise. Make sure you eat right. Um, do all the things you do that you need to do to, to reach your highest self, to reach your full potential. All right, because that's what I want for you. Um, that's definitely what I shoot for for myself and my family and my children and my team. I have a great team in the corporation. But again, I'm not really here to talk about the business. Right? I'm here to talk about how to help people right now and, and longevity. You know, so, uh, again, I hope that you were able to get some really positive feedback from this. And I'm going to go right now and, uh, Attend to some family time. So thank you all for tuning in and uh, bless you all. Thank you.